0: conversation after church? Come on in. By the way, I give you free reign to go get a coat or whatever you need. It's freezing in here. I got goosebumps all over. Come on in. How many of you guys remember how many children were in my family? How many? 13. And I asked you last week how many of you remember the days when your TV only had three channels and you had uh, an antenna on your roof? And you, maybe, maybe if you were rich, you had an antenna on your roof. Otherwise, you had rabbit ears. Yeah, and you would take aluminum foil and kind of put them at angles. Um, I was the oldest boy that was alive in my family. I had an older brother who died before I came along. But I was the oldest boy. And when I was young, um, one of the big things that caused uh, real upheaval in our family was um, the TV. I had a sister. Uh, Some of you maybe have even met her. Her name is Julie. 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 How many of you think Julie's a sweet girl? You're wrong. You're wrong. (laughs) Julie, if you ever hear this, I'm going to tell the truth now. Uh, Julie was only three years and nine months older than me. But she thought she was big stuff. And so when it came to the TV, she wanted to watch, get this, get this, she wanted to watch Peyton Place. If there was ever an evil show on TV, it was Peyton Place. I mean, talk about drama. She wanted to watch Peyton Place. I didn't like Peyton Place. I wanted to watch the original Superman, George Reeves. And we would literally get in fistfights over this stuff. Well, you only have one TV and you only have three channels and you've got limited time invariably at some point in the conversation one or the other of us would come up with this phrase that you see on the screen right now. Who died and made you boss? Who put you in charge? And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today, but I want to approach it from the text in a somewhat different vein, but you'll see how it connects. Uh, I was reading at one point an article in the US News and World Report and it said this, Americans are obsessed with the future. We have this desperate need inside to know what's going to happen next. How many of you have already been thinking about where you're going to have lunch today? How many of you are hungry? Okay, you're at least thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. We always want to know what's going to happen. We want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, or next week, or next year, or even a decade from now. We want to know what's going to happen Um, We get mad if the weatherman can't accurately predict the weather for next month when I'm going to be on vacation, because I need to know what to dress like for my vacation. Uh, We employ all different kinds of ways of trying to figure out the future. People use things like uh, the horoscope. They they look at the horoscope like the horoscope's actually going to tell them something about the future. Uh, they look at the alignment of the planets. They look at tea leaves. Uh, they look at fortune cookies, palm reading, all kinds of things to try to figure out the future. Even sometimes Christians have means. They will use the prophetic to try to predict the future, like it's another trick, just like tea leaves. We read books, we subscribe to uh, magazines. Uh, We go to conferences that give us economic indicators. All of it is our attempt to try to control the future, at least our future. It's our desire to be the boss of our life. What, though, should Christians have as their approach to the future. And that's what James is going to be talking to us about. Um, By the way, how many of you ever heard of the term humanism? Any of you? Humanism. Many Christians would say they're opposed to humanism. They don't buy into that philosophy. But I think there are a lot of Christians that without realizing it are practicing humanists. They live their life like they're in charge of it. I'm the boss, I do what I want. Even though the Bible says you are not your own. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. But we live like it all rests upon us. So, in our text today, and you can turn there to James chapter 4, James begins to talk to us about how Christians ought to think about their plans for the future. And by the way, what he does, let me just kind of give you this as a a broad stroke contextualizing piece. What James does is he talks about three different kinds of people. The first person, and again, by the way, who is James writing to? What's the first chapter, the first verse to say he's writing to? Who are they? He's writing to Christians. Christians. So we're not talking about the worldly people. We're talking about three different types of Christians so the first Christian that he's going to write about in this passage is the Christian who lives life like God doesn't matter. He's a Christian, but he can go through whole days without giving a thought to God. Maybe he doesn't even think about God until he gets to church on Sunday. He lives as if his life is his, and he can do anything when he wants with it. The second person that James refers to in the text is the person that's a Christian, and they talk about God in their plans. They talk about wanting to do things, but they never really do anything. They're full of good intentions, but they never really... They're the people who make commitments that they break all the time. They tell you they will come and help you, and they don't show up. That's the second person. The third person, James weaves throughout the whole of the passage, and that's the person who loves God and wants God to be preeminent in all that he does in his life. So keep those three people in mind, because those are the three people that James is referring to, and you can decide for yourself, where do you fit on the spectrum? Are you a person who lives your life day by day without giving much thought to God? I mean, Brother Andy just talked about the fact that we think about God every day at our meals, but there's a whole lot of people that don't even give God a thought at their mealtime. They don't say any kind of blessing or anything like that. They give no thought to God at all. They just live their life. And fortunately, they've got some fire insurance that gets them to heaven. And that's about all it is. Or are you the kind of person who you you mean well, you make all kinds of plans, you make all kinds of commitments, but it just seems like it never even comes together for you. Or are you the person who lives your life fully for God and says, I want God to be involved and in charge of every aspect of my life. Let's look at the text together. Uh, James, by the way, in talking about these three people, three people, he talks about three mistakes that these people make. Okay, So that's how we're going to look at it. These are like the three, kind of like call them the three future mistakes. But let's look at the text first. James chapter 4, in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him... It is sin. Now, at the time that James is writing, the Roman Empire was very similar to America at its inception. They were conquering lands, right and left, and they needed people to go in and settle on that land. So they would actually give you homesteading rights. They would say, if you will come and you will take possession of this piece of land, we will give it to you and it will be yours forever. And so they found though, which is really interesting, the Roman Empire found that the Jewish people tended to be very industrious, and they tended to succeed at what they would do. And so they actually gave special dispensation to Jewish businessmen to go ahead of them to help to establish stores and banks an industry, so that when you moved into the area, you would have stuff that you could do that could help to provide for your family. So that's kind of the larger context. They were giving opportunities for people to take the land. So what James does is he picks up on that concept, and he talks about two Jewish businessmen who were given this opportunity from the Roman government, and they're going to make some decisions. And he drops us right into the middle of the conversation they're having. Now, these two Jewish businessmen were like well known in their area. One actually graduated with an MBA from Tel Aviv University, and the other one was the CFO of Bethlehem Steel Company. So that's kind of who we're dealing with. We're talking about two prominent businessmen and they have both just finished their leader in me mentorship program and so they're ready to go and take possession of the land they're ready to go in and to begin to spread commerce all over the place and james drops us into the middle of a conversation so here's these two businessmen they're sitting at a table they get out their uh uh, google maps and they're looking at it and they're all ready to go where are we going to go what are we going to do and here is their plan look at it it's in verse 13 look at their plan Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. What's wrong with that? That that sounds like a good plan. I mean, people make plans every day. These are just a couple of entrepreneurs who are going after it. They have detailed their plan. They have planned it all out. Look look at it with me. In fact, can you put that text back up there? Just the the first verse right there. Look at that verse. Now, follow along with me. When are they going to do it? Today or tomorrow, where are they going to go? Such and such a city, you know, Carthage or Alexandria, they're putting, you know, pins in the map. They forget. Okay, so they've got when, where, um, how long will they be there? Spend a year there. What's their business plan? Buy and sell. They're going to have trade, they're going to have commerce. And why do they want to do it? Make profit. Is that not a good business plan? They've got everything down there. They know what they're going to do. They know where they're going to go. They know, they know it the whole thing. They got all the bases covered. The one problem is they made a mistake. And that's the first point that James makes. Number one, they planned without God. If you read that text again, there's not one point in time in which they mention God in their business plan. They knew what they wanted. They knew how to get there. But they never acknowledged God. And these are Christian people now. Yes, they're Jewish, but they've come to Christ because he's writing to Christians. These are Christians who never acknowledge God once in their business plan. Now, please don't misunderstand this point. God is not opposed to planning. In fact, Jesus Himself said in Luke 14, 28, No man goes out to build a house without first first considering or planning how much it's going to cost the bible is full of scriptures about planning proverbs says over and over again if i don't plan i'm a fool today we would say it like this a failure to plan is a plan to fail that's what proverbs says so god and the bible is not opposed to us making plans in fact paul himself makes plans let let me just read just a few of these just real quick just follow along and see how paul talks when he's talking to people about his plans in acts 18 21 he's getting ready to leave the elders of ephesus so he's at a church in ephesus which is a major city in the roman empire he's about to leave and he says this i must by all means keep this coming feast in jerusalem which is itself a plan i'm going to go to jerusalem to keep the feast but I will return to you God willing. That's how Paul approaches it. In 1 Corinthians 4.19, he says, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. In 1 Corinthians 16.7, he says, "I, I don't want to see you now on the way. In other words, I'm passing through. I don't have time right now, but I hope to come back and stay with you a while if the Lord permits. So, Get the idea that not the Bible, not God, not James is opposed to planning. That's not James' point. It's good to have dreams. It's good to have plans as long as God is the center and the core of your equation. If he's not, you become a fool because you're planning without God. There's nothing wrong with what these businessmen did. It's what they didn't do that was wrong. They didn't plan God into their thinking at all. That's what James is talking about. You can be a believer and forget about God all day long. You can wake up in the morning, your feet hit the ground, and you're going full tilt, and you're not giving God one thought throughout your day. And James is talking about people who live just like that. God becomes for you a Sunday go-to-meeting God, not an everyday all-the-way God. That's how you live your life. Uh, A lot of people love the Lord, but when it comes to planning, they are practical atheists. They live like there is no God. I mean, it's sad when we meet somebody who says, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. I think it's even more sad when we meet a Christian who lives their life like there is no God. I've had people come to me over the years. Uh, I've been a pastor here for a while now. And I've had people, different people come and say, Pastor, I've got great news. We're going to move to, where's a place to move to that's nice, that's warm? Florida, thank you. Charleston, Flo- Charleston? yeah, that's good. Okay, I'll pick that. We're going to move to Charleston. I said, really? Well, tell me about it, what's going on? Well, I got offered this position in Charleston, and it pays $85,000 to start. Here in Wyoming County, I'm only making 40000 And besides that, we get really depressed up here during the winter, so we think the sun and the warmth is really going to help us. We're really excited about it. And by the way, Pastor, do you know any good churches in Charleston? And they say that just to make me feel better about their decision. And so I'll usually say to them, that, that's, a, that's amazing. Um, Have you prayed about it? And they'll look at you like you've got three heads. What do you mean? Pray about it. I've already said I'm going to get this, I'm going to be making double the money. And I'm going to be happier. Why should I not do that? Is God opposed to you making money? No. Is God opposed to you preferring warmth? No. Is God opposed to the sunshine? No. But what I think God is opposed to is you living your life arrogantly, like you're in charge. Like every decision you make, all that matters is what's going to make you happy, not what is His will, what's going to help you fulfill His will. Um, We seem to forget so easily that only God really knows what's best for our lives, what's going to work the best for us. You could move to Charleston And you could make $85,000 a year and you could build yourself a brand new beautiful house that you're living in. And then Hurricane Delilah comes through. And your house is torn to shreds. That job that you moved down to Charleston for suddenly dries up and you've got no work at all. Your kids begin to run wild and your marriage breaks up. All because you were pursuing a dream and a vision that wasn't God's heart and mind for you. When you make your plans, do you consider God in your plans at all? Only God knows what's best for us. Um, You say, I believe in God. But does God have a say in your daily decisions? And I'm asking you honestly, when you think about your days, do you give consideration to what God would want of you? What does God want of you today? What, what, what adventure would God want to take you on today that might be different than what your normal is? Do you give thought to what God would ask of you? Does that mean you should get up and pray about whether you should go to work or not? No, that's not what I mean. I think you should have prayed before you took the job. Is that the job God wants? Because once God says, yes, that's a job, you know that God has already told you you ought to be faithful. But in doing the job, are there other things that God would want you to be aware of, including your coworkers and their need for encouragement or help, or perhaps even some word from God to them? I've had people say to me, I've had Christians in this church say to me, I don't believe in mixing God in business. Well, if God is not a part of your business, you're in the wrong business. God needs to be involved with all that you do. So what's the solution? Every single problem, every mistake, James gives a solution. The solution he gives in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. The starting point in facing your future wisely is God, what do you want me to do? When do you want me to do it? Where do you want me to do it? How do you want me to do it? James says you should preface what you say with if the Lord wills. You know and I know that saying that can become a cliche, kind of like knocking on wood. Or uh, what's another one? I can't think of one. There's got to be another one like that. You treat it like it's a superstition. It's like you're sitting down at a restaurant and the waiter comes up and says, "Uh, what can I get you? You say, well, I'd like some chicken if the Lord wills. You can get crazy dumb about this stuff. I don't think that's what James means at all. I think what James means, are you actually considering God in your decisions? Are you praying about it? Years ago, probably some of you here would remember this. You're, you're far enough mature that you would. Um, when you would write a letter, you would write a letter to somebody. You would at the bottom you would sign your name, and then you would put a comma, and right next to your name you would write two letters. Do you guys remember what they were? Yes. No. D V. D V. Do you guys remember this or not? After your name, After your name. and it meant Deo Valente. It's Latin. Deo valente. And it means God willing. So it's saying, whatever I've said to you is true, God willing. And I think we've forgotten something about that. I think as a Christian, you can approach God in your future planning in three different ways. And I'm going to put them up here real quick for you. Uh, The first is, you can show reference to it. I admit that God is God, that He's real and that He has a will for my life, but I don't give too much thought to it. I just kind of live my life. Or number two, I can show deference to God's will in my life, which means I think it's the best. I think God's will is the best, and I'd like it to happen somehow if it's convenient and it works out easily for me. But the third way is I show preference for it. More than anything else, I want God's will for my life. I want to walk in God's will. My question is, where do you fit on the spectrum? As a Christian, are you referencing it? Or do you show deference to it? Or do you perhaps even show preference? (coughs) James says the biggest mistake we make when we talk about future planning is to plan without God in the equation. And that's more than just saying, God, would you bless my plans? It's saying, God, what would you like? The second mistake that James tells us about is presuming about Tomorrow. Taking tomorrow for granted. Assuming I even have tomorrow. He says it in verses 14 and 16. He says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He gives us two reasons for why presuming about tomorrow is a bad idea. Number one, Life is unpredictable. He says, you do not know. Uh, You guys know, you've been around us long enough to know that about um, five years ago, Karen and I set out on a plan to get healthier, lose some weight, get in shape. We never would have guessed five years ago that we would be where we're at now. Karen, struggling with her knee, constant pain, can barely work out anymore. We never would have imagined 10 years ago that we would have her mother of 95 years living with us and having to take care of her with all of her confusion. You don't know what tomorrow is. Tomorrow is not a given. Things change. Life can be fickle. Some of you who have uh, maybe been self-employed or work on commission, you know that from day to day, It can be feast or famine. One day you have so much work, you don't know what to do with it. The next day, there's nothing. And that's kind of what James is referring to. Life is unpredictable. But the second thing he says is life is brief. He says, your life is even a vapor. That word vapor in the Greek is the Greek word atmos, from which we get our word atmosphere. He says, your life is like the morning fog. That was out on the field last week it's there it's real but by noontime it burns off your life is brief at best when i was at bible school uh, one of our professors talked about a guy who uh, he knew of who at 20 years of age decided to make a life plan for himself he was a brilliant guy Uh, he had memorized large portions of the bible already But he made the decision that he would take the next 20 years of his life and learn the biblical languages, primarily Hebrew and Greek. 20 years to become an expert at Hebrew and Greek. Then he was going to take the next 20 years and study all of the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts and make his own manuscript that he felt was the most perfect expression of God's Word on the earth. Then he was going to take the next 20 years and actually teach what he had learned. So that's a 60-year plan. That would take him up to 80 years of age. Sounds great, good plan. Except for at 30 years of age, he died of cancer. Life is brief. We don't know how long we have. Um, I've thought several times how quickly we go from playing with Hot Wheels to having to sit in a wheelchair how we go from diapers to dignity back to diapers. Life is brief, and none of us knows what it's going to bring. Isaiah 56.12 says this, Come, one says, I will bring wine, and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today. Have you ever met somebody like that? says, Oh yeah, I know what tomorrow is. It's always going to be the same. It's always the same old, same old. You don't know that. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. We love to make plans and set goals. I do. I have a goal for the Redemption Center. I have a plan. Each year, I think about what do I want to have happen this year in contrast to last year and previous year. So we make plans. We set goals. Those are good things. The problem is we don't always know what tomorrow is going to bring and how things can change so quickly. There was a movie out years ago that I think captures it. It's called Same Time Next Year. Some of you maybe saw it. And the idea was we're going to meet in the same place, do the same stuff that we did last year, we're going to do it next year. The problem is even in the movie it didn't work because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. I had a neighbor uh, when we were in Watertown who bought this huge motor home to travel with in retirement, and he parked it next to his garage. And literally, it was longer and taller than his garage. It was huge, huge. He bought this thing, but he worked for the union, and it was like something like the week or maybe even the day before he was officially to retire, he had a heart attack and died. He never once got to use this. You can make plans, but you don't know what tomorrow will be. What's the solution? What's the answer to this mistake, James gives us? Jesus said in Matthew six Don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow. The answer is to live fully today. Live for God today and let tomorrow worry about itself. He says, sufficient unto the day are the troubles thereof. You can't handle tomorrow's trouble until you get there because there's no grace for tomorrow like there's no grace for yesterday. There's only grace for now. Live fully for God now. It's good to plan for the future. And fortunately, God broke your future up into segments. They're called days and hours and minutes. Live this minute for God. This hour for God. And let God show you what He wants of you tomorrow. For some people, they're like, I just want to get to this point, and you forget that 15 years from now, you're going to look back on these days and you're going to talk about them like they were the good old days. Parents do it all the time. Grandparents especially do it. They remember back to those days when they had little kids, and they do it with a smile on their face, and they remember those good days. But when you were living those days, they didn't feel all that good. You were tired all the time. You were sick to death of diapers. I can remember when Karen and I had John and Jeremy, and we're living in this little house in Sterling, New York, and we're paying so much for diapers, it was breaking our grocery budget. And we couldn't wait until we could finally get out of diapers and have money. Not realizing that once they get out of diapers, they start actually moving more. They start actually wearing shoes and wearing clothes that are normal. And they started putting holes in them. The cost always went up. Never went down. The good old days are what you're living right now. How do you live without making this mistake about presuming about tomorrow? You put your trust in God today. Knowing that He... Holds your tomorrow. He will take care of your tomorrow for you. Uh, I want to just add here, there's a biblical principle. It's called from little to much. It's It's an interpretive principle in the Bible. From little to much. And the principle is this. In fact, Jesus put it very well. Until you have proven faithful with the little, I won't give you responsibility for the much. Well, in your life, a lot of Christians live their lives like I will take care of all the little decisions and I will leave the big stuff to God. Well, my, my view over all of these years is those people never give God the big stuff either. Because you've learned that you can handle the small stuff. So you think I can handle it all. And so you fret and you fume and you get anxious. Unless you will let God have a part in your little decisions, you will never let God have a part in your big decisions. In fact, a bunch of little decisions become, in time, big decisions where you're setting the course for your life so we looked at planning without god presuming upon tomorrow number three putting off doing good verse 17 therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it's sin it's sin when i say the word sin what do you think of what are sins what's a sin give me one sin Murder. Give me another one. Lying. Lying. Stealing. Stealing. That's it. You guys only knew those three sins. That's good. You guys are living life high. When we think about sin, we usually think about those kinds of things which are called sins of commission. What James is talking about is sins of omission. Things that you should have done that you don't do. You know, you can live your life like uh, in our growing up years in a Baptist church, the common phrase was, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, and I don't run around with girls that do. Well, good. Good for you. Your whole Christian life is defined by what you don't do, not what you do. I've come to the conclusion after all of these years that if you're going to measure a person's spirituality by the sins they don't commit, then everybody that's in their grave is very spiritual because they don't do anything. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible does measure what you do, but it also measures what you don't do. Both are a part of it. It's a subtle kind of thing. What James is talking about is people who are always putting off. They're always saying, someday, one day I will do this. There are people who make commitments that they don't follow through with. They have good intentions. But the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are three things you can do with your life. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. And James is calling us to invest our lives into God's will. To consider what does God want of you? It doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life that's of value in the kingdom of God. You can have all kinds of plans, all kinds of goals that you have set, but are those goals that God has established for you, are they plans that God wants to give to you to prosper your life and to prosper the kingdom of God? You don't know how long you're going to live. That doesn't mean you should lay in bed at night and get all morbid thinking about when I'm going to die, but the truth is you're going to die. I'm going to die. We were all born dying. That's the biblical truth. But while we're living in this life, wouldn't it be better if we actually live fully for God and His will than make our plans that in the end come to nothing because we've built upon sand instead of upon the rock that is solid? Years ago, I read a book by a well-known minister. He wrote a book entitled, I think this is right, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And his premise was simply this. As Christians, we ought to wake up in the morning, welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit into our heart and lives, and live all day long aware of his presence. Wouldn't that be a good way to live? Nike, I think, has it right when they came up with their slogan, just do it. If God has given you something to do, do it. Don't make commitments to do something and then keep coming back and saying, yeah, I meant to, I just never quite got to it. James is saying that's as bad as somebody who presumes upon the future. You don't do anything. We need to allow the will of God. And instead of having to wait for special conventions or Camp Judah or some other special event, You can actually walk with God every single day of your life aware of his presence. Would you stand with me? Take a moment, if you would, and just bow your head and ask the Lord to kind of assess your heart because the Bible doesn't tell us just to do it. He says, God, search my heart. God, you search my heart. Because sometimes I can be condemning myself for something God isn't. So you're saying, God, search my heart right now. Have I gotten into the habit of living my life like I'm in charge, like I'm the boss? I make my plans, I work my plans, and generally over well, overall they do pretty well and I'm pretty happy. And James would say, as an expression of God's Word to you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You can make all the plans you want, but you don't know what tomorrow is. The only one who knows tomorrow is God. And if you don't put your trust in Him and live fully for Him, that's a foolish way to live in the end. Where are you at? In your life, where are you at? How are you living? Are you living, endeavoring to be more and more sensitive to God and to His presence in everyday decisions? How you spend your money, how you run your business, how you treat your family? Where are you at? And this would be a great time that you offer yourself to God afresh right now and just say, God, I wanna live for you. I don't wanna live for me. I want every decision I made to be pleasing to you and your will for my life. It might mean changing some things in your life now, changing some relationships, changing some business practices. It might be changing how you choose to buy things, it might mean confronting the things that come out of your mouth or the things that go in to your mind what you read and what you view what is god saying to you today about his will and i'd like to just pray for you if i could father as we today have looked at james and we're coming to the very end now <clears throat> We're looking at what James has said to us about presuming on the future without considering you. What James has said about making big grandiose plans but never doing anything. Lord, we don't want to live our lives that way at all. We want to live our lives first and foremost, grounded upon you. That when we said, yes, Lord, it meant for the rest of our lives, every day and every moment of the day is yours, God. I am yours. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your servant. You can spend me, God, as you want for your kingdom's sake. I want my life to be invested in a way that it makes a difference. And Lord, I believe that is the heart of your people here. So I'm asking you, God, to help us to every moment of every day become more and more and more aware of you, sensitive to your Holy Spirit. And that the things that we do would be, in fact, your will. Not because we're asking you to just come alongside of us and help us to get through what we have planned, but because we believe, as best as we know how, that our plans are your plans for our life. That's our heart cry, Father. We want to walk in confidence because when we awaken in the morning, when we lay down at night and throughout our day, our mind and our heart is set on you. You said, set your affections on things above, not just on things of this earth. Lord, that's what we want. We want not just... The treasure laid up in heaven we want the treasure of knowing the pleasure of your presence here that's our cry and that's our commitment today father help us to walk this way every day we pray in the name of christ amen amen the lord bless you have a great rest of your day